भद्रम कर्णी शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टवागुम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदा स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ so we are studying the mandukya upanishad the, the mandukya karikas of gaurapada the second chapter the second chapter gaurapada wants to prove with the help of reason that the world is an appearance come come the world is an appearance an appearance of what of brahman or turiya the uh, existence consciousness place Now, in order to prove that that the world is an appearance, based on reasoning, Gaurapada uses the example of dreams. We consider dreams to be false. So, using that example, he is going to build up his case to show, on the basis of reasoning, that this world is not real in itself. It's an appearance of our inner reality. B- to do that first of all to make sure that we are on the same page that the world is really the dreams are really false that we are all agreed that dreams are false he doesn't want somebody to come up suddenly at the middle of uh, the teaching after half the chapter is done and say but dreams are also true today it's going to come some one guy is going to come up and say the dreams could also be true how do you know um, so he shows through reasoning that dreams are also false the dreams are false come 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 settle down There's a place here. All right. Having done that, then he moves on to the actual argument for the falsity of the world. We saw in the last two classes that this is the crux of the whole chapter. I mean, if you get this, the rest is detail, uh, is discussion basically. The basic idea which Gaurapada wants to give is, it says, world is an appearance and if you ask why, on what grounds are you saying the world is an appearance he says on these two grounds um first he says because it is not apart from the consciousness which experiences it it's a dependent reality uh he just says because of the well known reason but we saw because it is an object of consciousness so it is a pretty st- stunning way of and and very i would say a very radical way or, or the sheer um what's the jewish word for it khutspa khutspa for it <laughs> are saying that, that basically you know what he is saying the world is false because you see it huh? because it's an object of experience and we we have to know the mechanism of that argument what's going on under the hood um um 
how how is something false because it's an object of experience usually we we say just the opposite a thing exists because i see it how do you know this person was there in the class because i saw this person so because i saw this person the person was in the class but you see because i see something it's it's false it's an appearance what does that mean and i've uh, i will not go through the whole chain of uh, reasoning today but you know because if you experience something it's an object of consciousness and that object of consciousness cannot be experienced without consciousness without your awareness there is no way of talking about a world whether it's a waking world or a dream world or any object out there uh, somebody said as, you know you can have a a mind game philosophers play these mind games you can imagine a universe without consciousness would that not exist it's quite possible to imagine a universe without consciousness after all a materialist would say that um consciousness evolved rather late in the history of the universe there were billions of years without consciousness so can we not imagine that but but remember the whole approach of advaita is the, from the point of the experience of the subject from your own point of view so what would you reply to something like that you would say yes even that mind game note that something in your consciousness even such a, to conceive of that mind game you need consciousness yeah so it cannot be experienced other than consciousness no object can be experienced other than consciousness see this is argument is built into the very language when you say experience you are already including consciousness there without consciousness experience is not possible after all what is experience how would you define experience experience is consciousness plus its object when consciousness finds an object whether through the eyes or ears you find it through its through your eyes you say i'm seeing something i'm having the conscious experience of seeing through the ears i'm having the conscious experience of hearing if you remember something in the memory i'm having the conscious experience of recollection but it's consciousness plus an object could be an object out there could be an object in the body could be an object in the mind none of these objects can be experienced without consciousness you cannot even speak about these objects without reference to consciousness that's why i'm always i i reminded you last time i heard this very interesting teaching by a swami in the himalayas he says jar se kabhi shuru mat karo never start with the object never start with matter why not jar hi milega you'll get matter only anubhav se shuru karo start with experience start with your experience then you will get to what vedanta is pointing out and this is correct because after all if you start with just the object you are not giving a full and honest account of it if i say i am seeing this piece uh, if i say this is a piece of cloth you will say yeah that's right i'll give you another statement i am seeing a piece of cloth which is more correct and more complete the second one it's a piece of cloth in my experience normally we leave out that i am seeing i am thinking i am uh, remembering because that i is a constant in all experiences and you can leave it out for practical purposes that's why science leaves the subject out um science tries to be objective leaving the subjective element out because that's how science works and it's uh, it's not necessary to bring the subject in and if you do it leads to all sorts of complications but the catch is when you are studying the subject when you are studying yourself how can you leave the subject out when you are studying yourself like leaving what you want to study you leave that out and then you are trying to study it is impossible uh, 
So when you're trying to realize what you are, everything, every experience you have, acknowledge that the experience is possible because of consciousness. And that is what Gaudapada uses as an argument. If you are experiencing it as an object, it's an appearance in consciousness. In between there is an argument, you have to ask the question, alright, I am experiencing this object in my consciousness. Now you have to ask the question, what is the relationship of that object to my consciousness? And very soon you will see, it cannot be an independent object apart from my consciousness. Why not? Because for two things to be independent, they must be experienceable separately. Your own awareness you are constantly experiencing, it's revealing itself within you. The objects of this universe, you can only experience them in your awareness. You cannot experience them apart from awareness. It's, it's logically impossible. So if two things cannot be experienced separately, you have no ground for claiming that they are actually independent entities. They always go together. That's why Gaudapada will claim, that's one strategy, why Gaudapada claims that the objects are actually dependent on the knower of the objects. The objects of knowledge are dependent on the, on the knower of the uh, objects. Consci the, the objects of consciousness are dependent on consciousness. So that's one argument. It bears a lot of thinking and lot of, right now what we'll do today, a lot of objections will come. From different uh, philosophers, they will raise objections. Come, come, come in, come in, come in. There, there's space here, come here. Where was I? Yeah, object and consciousness, of course. That's always where I am at. <laughs> it's dependent on consciousness. If two things are experienced, then they are not. Yeah, it will come now. Objections of different philosophers will come now. No, I remember. I'm just joking. So, the claim is really remarkable. A thing is an appearance, it's false, it's not real. Because you see it. <laughs> like, like what? Like your dreams. In your dreams you saw these people, these things, these events, you had these experiences and you wake up and you say, all of it was false. It was just appearance. I was actually asleep and my mind conjured up those things. Yesterday, those who were there in the Rubin Museum, at the very end Deepak Chopra recited a little poem. It's actually this thing. He said, if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can smell it, if you can touch it, if you can taste it, if you can remember it, if you can think about it, if you can say it, it's not real. <laughs> and that sounds cool, but what's the logic behind it? The logic behind it is these two reasons. One reason is this, if it is, if it is an object. Object means you can see, hear, smell, touch, taste, some, or one of these or many of these. You can remember it, you think about it, express it in language. Okay. So that's one reason and a stunning reason in itself, worth thinking about. The second reason which came up was another stunning reason. Things are false because they are impermanent. Do you remember? That which is, does not exist in the beginning and that which does not exist at the end, in between it also does not exist. It only appears to exist. Now this is a very powerful reason. Why? That things are impermanent, everybody knows this. That we are subject to birth and death. Things are subject to creation and destruction. Everybody knows this. 
We accept it. Many people in this class have said, Swami, we understand the impermanence of things, anityam, that we understand. And that's a fact. But to accept that things may be impermanent, but they could be real. Um, I know that the cookie did not exist earlier and the cookie won't exist a minute later, but in between, if it exists for one minute on my tongue, that's enough. <laughs> the impermanent doesn't, is not really a problem. Things are impermanent. In fact, an eternal cookie would be a problem. So, so yes. So, uh, um, that things are impermanent, unknown, and this is easy to accept. But just because something is impermanent, why should it be false? To accept the falsity of things which Advaita insists upon, that is difficult. But you accept the impermanence of things. You say yes, and Gaurapada says, aha, gotcha. <laughs> says, if you accept the impermanence of things, you have accepted the falsity of things. How so? And do you remember the argument? Things, if something has, if something has borrowed something else, the example of heat, um, so a potato boiling and it's uh, hot, but it's not hot intrinsically. After some time it cools down. Uh, the, it borrowed its heat from the boiling water. Even the water borrowed its heat from the hot pan underneath. Even the hot pan underneath borrowed its heat from the fire. But the fire didn't borrow its heat from anywhere. The fire, as long as the fire lasts, it is hot. The other things which borrowed the heat, they got it and lost it. Now one sign of something not being intrinsic is that it comes and goes. So borrowed heat or borrowed uh, wealth, it comes and goes. If it is intrinsic, it will last. It will stay with the entity. Now just says, apply this reasoning to existence. By the way, I am um, moving fast here. If there are philosophers here, you might even point out, I don't know, it's, this is a very technical point which will appeal only to philosophers. Kant pointed out that existence is not a predicate, it's not a property. Uh, and uh, Advaita agrees with him. More than a thousand, fourteen hundred years before Kant, uh, Shankar also pointed the same thing out. But anyway, just having said that, I'll just leave it there. Now, if existence is borrowed, if an entity borrows existence, what will happen? It will gain existence and lose existence. It will, sometimes it will come into being and then it will die. It will go out of being. It will be produced, it will be destroyed. It will be born, it will die. That's a sign of borrowed existence. But if a thing has intrinsic existence, like fire has intrinsic heat, then what will happen to that thing? What will happen to something which has intrinsic existence, existence of its own, not borrowed from elsewhere? It will be permanent, it will be eternal. So, now, that means being born and dying, being created and being destroyed is a sign of borrowed existence. You are with me? Now look at everything in this universe. Things which are non-eternal, which are born and which die, which are created and destroyed, which come into being and which dis disappear. Which means in this terminology they have all got borrowed existence. You'll say, yeah, so what? This is the point. The very definition of falsity in Advaita Vedanta is borrowed existence. Dependent existence. It does not exist without its underlying reality. So it has borrowed its existence from its underlying reality. The pot borrows its existence from the clay. Or even more so, the snake, apparent snake borrows its existence from the real rope, which is um, misperceived as the snake. So similarly, Everything in the universe which you have already accepted, remember you have already accepted that they are 
non-permanent, which means they have got borrowed existence, which means they have dependent existence. If they're dependent existence, that's the very definition of falsity. Let's let him sit. So these are the two reasons which we got. Uh, one reason is because they all are manifestations of, they are objects. In Sanskrit, drishyatva, because they are objects. Because they are objects of experience, then they must be false. The second reason is anityatvat, because they are impermanent, then they must be false. Because of these two powerful arguments, Gaudapada insists that everything that we experience in the world is an appearance. But appearance of what? Of Brahman, or in the, in the Mandukya terminology, Turiyam, the fourth, the, the real self. All right. This is what we have, where we are at now. Now, a number of... You have a question here. Yeah. A number of uh, objections will come up, yes. So, <clears throat> are both reasons in, their, in the core, are they not really the same? In the sense that both are dependent on Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But then why two? One is an approach, you will notice the subtle difference. One is an approach from consciousness, chit. One is an approach from existence, sat. Right? Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's the same argument. Now, um, objections. What happens next? Verse number 7. Right now what's going to happen is the uh, opponents of this, that you're trying to equate the waking and the dream. You're trying to equate the waking and the dream. The opponents of this philosophy will come forth with objects, objections to show that, look, we accept that the dreams are false. But the waking and the dream are not equivalent. Uh, waking is real and uh, we are not going to give up that so easily. It's, it seems so real to us. Now we're going to argue. They're going to show you waking is real because of these reasons. They're going to show certain reasons which will distinguish waking and dreaming. Once you distinguish waking and dreaming, they'll show dreaming we admit is false, but waking is real because of this distinguishing factor. What distinguishing factor? Four factors will be adva advanced now. Four arguments against this uh, position that waking and dreaming are equally false uh, from the point of view of the ultimate reality. Now, four arguments will be advanced. What are the four arguments? One will be an argument from utility. One will be an argument from externality. One will be an argument from um, stability. And one will be an argument from clear perception. You need not write that down now. We'll go, it, go into it one by one. I just summarized the whole class now. <laughs> and we'll see Gaudapada's answers to these questions. As you go through these arguments, you'll see they come up in our minds. Uh, these are the arguments, the objections which come up in our minds. If you think about it, we have a strong feeling that dreams are not real, waking is real. We have a strong feeling. And if you are challenged, we tend to fight to defend this feeling. And how do we fight? These are the reasons which come up. Our mind says, look, tell that guy this reason. This is why the waking is real and dreams are false. You will see these very reasons will come up. The first reason, and Gaudapada's answers to them. I remember once I asked 
Uh, I had a friend who, uh, in the monastery many, many years ago, a brilliant young novice. And he told me something very interesting once. He said, you might sometimes think, what practical good is it to discuss the views of philosophers long dead? Obscure philosophers, and especially here, we are in the West, in, in America, in New York, in Manhattan. Obscure Indian philosophers, thousands of years ago, their theories and arguments, what is, it might be nice to discuss those things, abstractions, but really what good is it to us today? And the thing he told me was, actually it's not so much whether what the logician said, what the Sankhyan said, what the Buddhist said, all of them are in our own minds. These are the positions that our intellect takes at different times. These are the questions which come to us. You will see. Verse number 7. Saprayojanata tesham Saprayojanata tesham Swapne vipratipadhyate Swapne vipratipadhyate Tasmadadhyantavatvena Tasmadadhyantavatvena Mithyeva khalute smritaha Mithyeva khalute smritaha the first one is a utility argument. What does the argument, what does it go like? The argument goes like this. Objects in the dream and objects in waking cannot be equated. For example, I get a lot of money, I win the lottery in a dream and um, I get a lot of money. But it's no good to me. I can't go and uh, pay my mortgage or my rent with that money. It, it, it's not there at all when I, uh, when I wake up. It's gone. So... Whatever happens in the dream ha has no utility at all. Um, so they are not real. Whereas if I get my, get my paycheck in my waking state, I can use that money. It is useful. Uh, hence, utility is an argument for the reality of the waking state and the unreality of the dream. Remember, this person takes a common sense approach. Uh, uh, this person says it's a very pragmatic approach. This person agrees with Gaurapada, agrees with Gaurapada that dreams are false, but does not agree with Gaurapada that waking is false. Waking is real. Why? Ex um, reason? Because of utility. Things in the waking state have their use. So whatever happens in the dream has, has no practical consequence for my waking state. But the things which happen in the waking state, they have practical utility. But the answer, you know, it's, you, I think immediately you know, you'll know what the answer, Gaurapada's answer will be. Dream objects have utility in? Dreams. In dream state, yes. Yeah. Somebody said, if uh, you go to sleep and uh, in your kitchen there's a lot of food and your dreams you feel very hungry, all the food in the, in the waking kitchen, the kitchen of your waking life, will, have no help, will be of no help to you in your dreams. You are safe and sound in your, asleep in your bed. And you feel that maybe you are alone somewhere. And the typical example is a tiger is chasing you. That's unlikely here in Manhattan. But maybe you are being mugged or something like that. But you are safe and sound in your, uh, in your room. So the security which you have of the, the waker who is now sleeping, that security is of no use in the dream. So all the things which you think have utility, uh, you have locked the doors tightly, but um, lo and behold, when you are in a dream, an intruder has come in and burglar is there and you are terrified what's happening. 
So all the things which have utility in the waking state have no utility at all in the dream state. Just like the things which you experience in the dream state have no utility back in the waking state. So utility, Gaudapada's point is, utility cannot be an argument for reality. Utility cannot be an argument for reality. Just let me mention here, there is a school of philosophy, um, Buddhist school, which defines reality as arthakriyakaritvam, practical efficacy. It says, the, the approach is like this, a thing is real if, it is, if you can use it, if it is effective in your life, if it does what it is meant to do. So for example, mirage water is false because if you go to it and you try to drink it, there is no water, it will not quench your thirst. There is no use to that. I mean, you, it cannot fulfill your, what it is supposed to do. Its functions, it does not fulfill. It looks like water, but it isn't water. Why is it not water? Because it doesn't fulfill the function of water. So this is called in Sanskrit, Arthakriyakaritvam, practical efficacy of the object. In modern language, you might call it the, uh, a pragmatic approach. Uh, pragmatism, in fact, in the, it's a very classic American philosophy. So, um, somebody says that uh, you can define it as the cash value philosophy. What does it, how, how does it work? Does it give you its benefits? Now, the answer to this argument from the Buddhists, that practical eff efficacy is the uh, determinant of reality, the answer is again very simple. You can give the answer from a dream state. You're feeling very thirsty and you find water, and you drink it, and your thirst is quenched. But when you wake up, neither your thirst nor the water was real, nor your drinking it was real. You are asleep in bed. Right? So even if it worked in the dream, it worked in the dream, it, it quenched your thirst in the dream, but at the end of it, when you wake up, you realize the whole thing is falsified. So practical efficacy is also not an argument for reality. So that's what Gaudapada points out. He sets aside this objection. He says, no, this is not a valid objection for the reality of waking things. Why not? Because the utility of waking things is lost in dreams. And you say that dream things, dream is false because those objects have no utility in the waking. Well, the dream objects have utility in the dream state. Where is, uh, yes. So the verse was, Saprayojanata tesham swapne vipratipadhyate. He says, the saprayojanata, utility, tesham, of, the, of those, of which ones? Of the objects of the waking world. Swapne, in dream, vipratipadhyate. It is set aside, it is contradicted in dream. They are not available to you in dream. Therefore, all the objects in the waking state are also false. He says, tasmat, they are false. They are false. Why are they false? Because of the reasons stated earlier, because they have a beginning and an end and they are dependent, they are objects of consciousness. Because of those reasons, they are equally false. Remember, the objects in the dream also have a beginning and an end and they are also objects of consciousness. And the objects in the waking have a beginning and an end and they are also objects of consciousness. So the reasons apply equally to the falsity in dream and in waking. So that's the first, yes. But there, is a, there is another thing, I mean, utility yeah. is one, but mm -hmm. then there is continuity, right? Right, we are coming to it. Do you remember for four objections? You see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you think about it, your mind will come up with these objections. 
One is utility. Second one was externality. Third one, I said stability. This is what he's seeing calling continuity. It goes from one point of time to another. You wake up into the same waking world, life after, I mean, uh, waking after waking. But in dreams, every dream is different. It's a different continuum altogether. So isn't that an argument? Waking is real and dream is false. That's called the continuity argument, which he's asking. It's, it's a third one, actually. It's coming up. So you were, this question was around. Maybe you were there. You asked God of Father, please continue. <laughs> 1400 years ago. Yeah, so this is what that novice meant, that all of these questions are in our minds. We are asking these questions. But before we go on to those arguments, there is this guy who comes along and says, wait a minute, I've been listening to you all this time, but something is bothering me. Dreams can also be real, you know. Dreams can also be real. It's a kind of different alternate reality. So it's rather late in the day he's asking this question. <laughs> So that, that question is interjected in the middle of the four arguments. So we'll just quickly dispense with this guy. Eighth verse. He has come up with a rather unique argument for the reality of dreams. What is the unique argument? Apurvam sthani dharmohi Apurvam sthani dharmohi Yatha swarga nivasinam Yatha swarga nivasinam Tanayam prekshate gatva, Tanayam prekshate gatva, Yateveha susikshitaha, Yateveha susikshitaha. Alright, what, what is the argument here? This guy says, Look, you are saying that dreams are just the imaginings of the mind, the mind sort of freewheeling, you know churning out its own imaginings, body has shut down in sleep and the mind is doing its own thing, generating a virtual reality based on the experiences of the waking state. So dreams are constituted of samskaras, uh, impressions gathered in the waking state. But, hold on, in dreams sometimes we see unique things which we have never seen in the waking state. So maybe wonderful creatures or sometimes something extraordinary happens which just cannot happen in the waking state. So doesn't that prove, that means it, it could not have come from the impressions of the waking state because these are unique. You might call it the uniqueness argument. So it's a unique argument. Uh, so doesn't it prove that the dreams are original experiences? We must have gone to some alternate reality or some virtual reality or something. And the answer he gives is, Two points. First of all, the original argument holds. Whether they are unique or not, are they not objects of experience? They are objects of experience, whether unique or not. You see them. Hence, they are false. That argument holds. The other one also holds. They have a beginning and an end. So that argument also holds. But also, addressing your uniqueness argument directly, it's not necessary that uh, you have to see everything that you in a dream, you have to see it in the waking. What you see as unique in a dream, maybe a unicorn, but you might have seen a horse and a, a, a horned animal and you put the horn on the horse or something and then you see a unicorn in a dream maybe. So the elements which you see, which constitute the unique experience you have, those elements are borrowed from the waking state. And he gives the example that, um, oh, the, the guy who was giving this argument, that person said, look, we talk about heaven. And in different heavens, people go and have extraordinary experiences. They see Indra. Um, and so those experiences are unique. 
Indra, the god of the, uh, the, the king of the gods and so on or the white elephant of Indra or things like that, extraordinary experiences in heaven, like it's like Disney world. So if you saw those things in Disney world, it couldn't have been a dream, though you have not, because you have not seen them anywhere else outside except Times Square. But, <laughs> but if you've seen Mickey Mouse and all of the other people whom you do not see in the waking life outside, then Disney world couldn't have been a dream. You must have actually gone there and seen those things. That was the argument of this person. Uh, so just like you go to heaven and see, so heaven must be a distinct place, it can't be imagination because you never saw such things earlier. Similarly, dreams also, you see unique things, so dreams must be real, like going to heaven. Might, and, yeah. might we also be dreaming things that we've experienced in previous lives? Possible, possible. It's basically what we have experienced and it comes out. And basically it's a mix. You need not have experienced exactly the same thing in your waking life. It could be a mix of things. Often we see in dreams, timelines are confused, um, uh, people you have, ages are confused and uh, uh, strange things happen. So it's a mixture of things we have gathered in the waking state. But he says, all of them are characteristics of the seer, sthani dharma. The sthani means the person in that particular state. That person experiences those, those objects. So you in the dream, you experience those objects. My point is, they are all objects of experience, hence they are false. So he dispenses with that. Look at the verse, Apurvam sthani dharmahi. Apurvam means unique objects are experienced. Yatha swarga nivasinam. As people going to heaven see unique objects, so it, couldn't it be that dreams are, are real like, like going to heaven? Remember, this, in those days going to heaven was... Um, taken for granted that it's a real thing. Today we are skeptics. Uh, I think we are impoverished that way in, in imagination. Though um, people uh, in ancient times, for them this world was real and other worlds were also real. I mean, they took it as a matter of course, things are like that are there. We are too skeptical these days. This alone is real and the rest is, they were superstitious. That's the example. Just as we consider heaven to be real because we see unique things there, can't we consider dreams to be real also because we see unique things there? He points out that even in the dreams, what you see is you see it. It's an object of experience. These are characteristics, sthani dharma, the person, sthani means the state, the person in that state. The person in that state sees them. Hence, they are objects of experience. And he says, tanayam prekshate gattva, the person goes to sleep and then sees those things just like yatha eva iha susikshitaha. Just like a well-informed person who has to travel to a long distance, he is told about where to go, how to go, and he actually does that and has those experiences as he goes along. This is the example. Like, so nowadays you would use a GPS example. You program it in GPS and it takes you there and you actually start seeing the things which you go, go, uh, you, you go there and you see those things. I don't see whether, I mean, privately I'm telling you from my thing, I was sort of pondering over this example. I don't see how this example is particularly helpful. Anyway, that you, somebody goes to a distance place and has been given information about it and follows those information and goes there and sees those places. Just like that, you go to dreams and see it there. Doesn't make those things real. The example is not very, uh, uh, not very lucid. Maybe the point is missed here, the example. Sees. Preksha. Preksha is to see. See. Iksha, to see. Premonition. Premonition? 
you feel that something's going to happen, and then it happens. Yeah. Yeah, but what is your point here? No, but what is your point here? We are talking about. Dream is false. So you're going to say that, I know what you're going to, trying to say. You're trying to say we sometimes have premonitions and they turn out to be true. Yes. That's what you're trying to say? Yes. So yeah, how can you say they are false? But, all right, I will subcontract this out to you. Right. Not only that. Yes. Um, you felt that this person is going to come today, whom you have not seen for 20 years. You have a premonition of that. And then somebody rings the bell and that person has come. You say, <coughs> my premonition has come true. It's true. Right? But, did that person come uh, and then you said it's true? Or just when you had the premonition, you said it's true? Are you getting me? See, this, this uh, argument we have, uh, uh, we have seen it earlier. You know where? In the case of dreams which turn out to be true. When you first set the example that dreams are false, invariably there will be somebody in the audience who will say that, but I have had dreams come out to be true. The problem is, is uh, the lack of philosophical thinking. Philosophical thinking or logical thinking is, what do you mean dreams have turned out to be true? What do you mean when you say dreams are true? What you mean when you say dreams are true, is it not this? that you dreamt something and then in your waking life that thing happened <coughs> and then you said the dream is true okay i dreamt somebody gave me this book and next day in the morning this thing ap uh, appeared in a gift packet or something oh the dream turned out to be true now my question is if the dream is true in itself then do you have two copies of the book or one copy one you got in the dream and one you got in uh, waking life what do, you say it's, what do you say is true? If somebody gives you the book, you say, it's real. Somebody gave it to me. So in the dream, if it is real, somebody gave it to you, you should wake up with the book in your hand. You, you, go, you actually got the book. But you still have to wait for it to happen in real life, in, in waking life. Then only you will say that the dream is true. So when you say dreams are true, it's just an indication which has to be fulfilled in waking life. Then only you can say it is true. In waking life, that is not so. Waking life, somebody gives you something, you immediately say it is true. In dream, somebody gave you something, you don't say it's immediately true. It's only it has to happen again in the waking life, then only it's true. Otherwise, you'll end up with two copies of the book. No backseas. So, uh, in the case of premonition also, it's the same thing. But, forgetting all of that, Gaudapada says, do you experience it? Yes. If you experience it, then it's an object of your awareness. If it's an object of your awareness, it's a dependent reality. The awareness alone is real. Is it, does it have a beginning and end? Yes, it has a beginning and end. Then it has a borrowed existence. So in both cases, it's an appearance, mithya, false. In that sense, it's a very philosophical point of way of looking at it. Yes. So how do you answer the objection that things are real if they have consequences? Yes. So I understand that, that it would be still an experience, so you can negate it from that perspective. But even for the Emperor Janaka, his dream was real in the sense that it had consequences in the waking state. He woke up with heart palpitation and right. everything that followed <coughs> followed as a consequence of that something that he experienced in his dream. Ah. And so things but were real 
in their consequences. And we are going from one plane of existence, the dreaming world, into the waking world. All right. That? Uh, follow that carefully. When you say that the dream is false, the precise formulation of that statement is the objects seen in the dream world are false. The events are false. They never happened. Those objects were not really there. So when Janaka wakes up, the consequences which were witnessed in the dream, all of them disappear. He has not lost the battle. He's not lying on the ba on, uh, ground and uh, uh, you know, uh, saying, alas. Do oh, you remember the story? Yes, he is not hungry. He's not wounded. So all of those consequences, which was, which was part of the dream, disappeared. Yeah, but those are in the content of the dream. Those were the content of the dream. Yeah. So that is false and because I, they disappeared. I understand that Advaita is never interested in the content, right. but in the person. But for okay. the person there is now consequence. Now there's a consequence. Okay. Now, the consequence is the consequence of the experience, not really of the contents. So Advaita never denies the experience. Advaita will, will deny that you are actually in a battle. He'll tell Janaka, you are never in a battle. He'll deny that uh, you actually lost the battle, you were captured and you humiliated. None of that ever happened. But it will never deny that you saw it as a dream. That it, how can you deny? Advaita never goes against experience. But it says, investigate the reality of the experience. Now if you say, what about the consequences? When he wakes up, those things are there. True, um, Advaita never says that you are not palpitating. Advaita never says you are not sweating, you are not scared. Even a false experience can have an exp uh, effect on you. Now those effects are felt in the waking state. Those are also false, yeah. but from the <laughs> Advaitic perspective, right? The dream experience was not false as long as it was not recognized as a dream. It, it was within, from the perspective of Janaka in the dream. Follow this very carefully. From the perspective of Janaka, dream is a dream. But from the perspective of the Janaka who was in the dream as the person who fought the battle, for that person, it's pretty real. But the point is that person itself is not real. That person is a figment of the dreamer's uh, imagination. Right? From the dreamer's perspective, the person in the dream is false. And all the persons in the dream are appearances. And all the events are fictitious. But the person who is dreaming, he's not false. Now he wakes up into the reality. From that perspective, the dream is falsified. Now the person in the real, from the, from in the waking, from the waking perspective, all of this is as real as the dream was for the person in the dream. All this is false from the point of what? From the point of Turiya. Uh, not from the point of the person in, in the waking state. Remember, what is the Turiya? Turiya is not the waker. It's not the dreamer. It's not the deep sleeper. It's the one consciousness underlying waking, dreaming and deep sleep Appearing as waker, dreamer, and deep sleeper. All right. Now let us go on. So there was a li little interlude when this uh, person came up with a sudden question. Wait a minute. Dreams can also be real, you know. I said, no, they are not real. The uniqueness argument that falls down. Now let's go back to the... Other people, they have questions. One was the utility argument. Now second comes another argument, the argument from externality. It's a, a subtle but powerful argument. And I've actually seen it being applied in the 19th, 20th centuries by modern philosophers here. Um, realists who try to prove realism against idealism by these very arguments. Let's see, ninth verse. Swapna vritta vapitvantaha 
Alright, first what is the argument? The argument goes like this. Look at this object. Here is this object and when you, when you see it or when I see it, the object is here existing outside me and I also have a mental image of it in my mind. I, I, I experience this object in my mind. The light goes through from the object to my eyes and an image is formed that is transferred to the brain and in the brain uh, somehow it is presented to the mind and I experience this internally also. I'm having the experience of a book internally, I, I recognize it as a book, all this is happening internally and externally also this thing exists. When such a situation obtains, we say the thing is real. If I right now, if I imagine a book, now does that make the book real? No. If you imagine, otherwise you could have ima imagined a thousand dollars, it should have become real. If there is a thousand dollars outside, and you experience, okay, that's a thousand dollars. You are experiencing inside in your mind and out there also. There is an external reality and of course an internal reality because you have to experience it to talk about it. When, there, when it exists externally and is also experienced internally, you call it real. When it exists only internally, you just imagine it, suppose. Then you call it imaginary, mental, not real. That's what you call. So a thing must have an external reality to make it real. You of course should have a corresponding mental image of that, of course, to experience it. If it has only a mental existence, it's not real. So for example, Harry Potter? Harry Potter? Fictitious. Why? Because it exists in your mind, it exists in J.K. Rowling's, J.K. Rowling, right? J.K. Rowling's mind and the minds of all her uh, little fans, and, you know, they, they imagine it very powerfully. But it exists only in, the, in our minds, not outside there. Though there are theme parks now, I think. Where did I see it? In Hollywood or something? There's a big poster that uh, J.K. Rowling's uh, Hogwarts and you can go there and, uh, and you have to pay real money to see <laughs> it. <laughs> so it exists only in your mind. These characters and the places exist only in the mind of the author and, and the people who are enjoying it. And they know it. They know that it's not really out there anywhere. So it's fictitious. But if you say Cambridge University or Oxford University or J.K. Rowling herself, they exist in our minds but they also exist out there. Hence we say they are real. External existence plus your internal existence in your mental existence is reality. Only existing in your mind is unreal. So if you say, so what? Remember, this is the person who's asking a question. He will say, now apply it to dream and waking. We say dream is unreal because when we wake up, we say it was all in my mind. It was not really out there. Hence, it's a dream, it's false. But this world is out there, in my mind of course, but also out there. Hence, it's, it's real. How can you distinguish between, so how can you say dreams and waking are the same or both are false? External existence of entities is a sign of reality. Yes. Maharaj, in this context, this paradigm, how would you uh, 
that going to be real in this paradigm or not? Gopalima, who had, so any kind of mystical experiences. Yeah. Yes, mystical experiences are real because they have, um, because they are related to God who is a reality. It's not just in the mind of Gopalima. She is accessing a mystical realm of some reality, some spiritual reality. That's why mystics' experiences are not hallucinations. We would say. Um, a skeptic might say that they, are, they say this thing works perfectly well. Those experiences are just internal to that person. They are yeah. imaginings. Yeah. So in this paradigm, you would still say it is real by this definition where you say that it should exist not only in the mind of the person, but there should be a manifestation. Absolutely, absolutely. So from that perspective suppose, suppose you take a dualistic uh, philosophy. We are now stepping out of this thing, but because she has asked, I am giving you the answer. Um, a dualistic philosophy, Vaishnava philosophy. So if you say, ask a Vaishnava, here is Gopalarma, she sees Krishna. Uh, is this only mental or is it externally real also? Something exists apart from our mind. The Vaishnava will say, of course it is, Krishna exists. And she is a saint and she has these mystical experiences. We can't see it because our minds are not pure and not tuned. The minds have to be purified and tuned to that particular thought current. Then you have these mystical experiences. So, a devotee is actually experiencing a mystical realm which exists outside the devotee's mind. It's real. Um, so, that's what a dualist would say. But anyway, here the person is asking a question to Gaurapada. You are distinguished, you are saying waking and dreaming are equivalent. Uh, both are false. Waking world is as false as dreaming world, a uh, dream world. But clearly there is a distinction. When you wake up, don't you have, everybody, even if you are a non-dualist, don't you have the experience? Oh, that was all in my mind. And hence, what do you say to yourself? You non-dualist, Mr. Non-dualist, what do you say to yourself? Oh, that was a dream. Because it's in your mind. And you never say these things are dreams. Because they are outside you. They are in your mind also, but they are outside you. When you uh, wake up and have breakfast and you eat your cereal, the cereal is out there and of course you are tasting it and experiencing it inside. If you are only experiencing it inside and it's not out there, you wouldn't say you are really having breakfast. You are imagining breakfast. Uh, I saw a picture of a very expensive restaurant. I think it was in Europe somewhere. So you are supposed to go there and it's beautifully set out and ambience is there and the, the waiters will come and set out the uh, table and uh, give you the menu and you order and the pictures are all there of, of all the food items but nothing will actually be served to you. <laughs> so you'll have to, the, the glasses are there, you have to sip uh, and imagine it, you know, like virtually. See the pictures and imagine it and then the food, all the appropriate dishes and cut, uh, cutlery will come and go and you have to meditatively actually use your fork and knife and spoon and it's really expensive. <laughs> that part is not imagination. You can't like imaginatively give money to the, uh, to the waiter and say, I paid the bill. No, the bill is very real and the <laughs> money is also very real. But they're, they're creating an experience. But the thing is the food is outside. That's why you say it's a real breakfast. It's not. So even a non-dualist has to admit that. Is it not? Now what does Godopada say to it? What would you say? To yeah. Oh, you're going back to the original arguments? Yes, okay. Yes. Right. Right, right. But, but these people are... 
Uh, true, but uh, these people have not bought into those arguments. They are not bought into it. They are saying. Yeah. That is the argument used to dismiss that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But once you use that argument, my point is, you basically, that's it, you're done. Yeah. Everything is unreal, other than for you. Right? Uh, right, that is true, from Gaudapada's point of view. But these people are giving alternatives, yeah. the way we normally think. Because normally, commonsensically, we make a clear distinction between dreams and waking. As long as we keep on making this distinction, Gaudapada's approach will not work. He has to erase first the difference between we have between waking and dreaming in order to use it, use dreams as an argument for proving the falsity of the waking. Now he asks us, like it's like he's asking us, tell me what are your objections to equating waking and dreaming? You can even forget those arguments because the answers he will give here are not using those arguments. The four arguments which are coming, utility. Remember, how, how did he deal with the utility? He didn't say that even if it has utility, utility is still an object of your consciousness, so it's false. He didn't say that. He didn't say that even utility has a beginning and end, therefore it's false. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Things in the waking have utility. The dream objects, dream money has no utility. But ah, you look at the waking paradigm and the dream paradigm. Dream objects have utility in the dream world. And yes, you are right, they have no utility in the waking world. But equally, waking objects have no utility in the dream world also. And he used that argument. <laughs> Did you see that? So he will use the person's uh, own logic to show that uh, the question is not valid. But not using his uh, original um, uh, to, uh, to, you know, like Brahmastra. The dream world, right? uh, what? That's, you, those two arguments were what we used to dismiss the dream world as an alternate reality. Because otherwise it is entirely conceivable that there is an alternate reality. No, um, actually... You know, what happens is why we normally do not think of the dream world as an alternate reality. The original arguments against the dream world being real, if you bring them up. Do you remember the original arguments? You see that you have gone to a place and you suddenly wake up. You do not wake up in the place. You, you wake up in your bedroom, in your, in your bed. Right? Uh, if you did wake up in the place, then you would be confused. You would think that, oh, maybe I did come here. I'm, I'm just jet lagged. I'm, I was thinking I was dreaming, but actually I traveled here. Uh, but you don't wake up at that place. You, come, you are back where, where you went to sleep. And then the other arguments, time is not congruent, space is not congruent. Uh, so because of all these reasons, when we wake up, we say, that was a dream. And that thing we do not have for the waking world. That's why we normally make a clear distinction between the dream and the waking world. Uh, we do not feel about the waking world that it's contradicted. It's, it's not real. But for the dream world we feel when upon waking up, it's that it's contradicted. If we did not feel contradicted, we might feel that we had gone to some other realm, some kind of virtual reality. But we see all these contradicting uh, facts. I saw myself in a place, different place. And now I see I'm in, on my bed. That means I did not go there, I must have dreamt it. Things like that. Yeah. Now, but here what's going on is for, that's why, you know, um, when the teachers actually teach this, they rearrange the verses. They will give you the two reasons why waking world is false. Then they'll big up, bring up the four arguments from people who say, wait a minute, I'm going to rain on your parade. Before you go ahead and start proving the waking world is false, I'm, I'm not accepting your thesis that the, I accept dreams are false, but the waking is not false for these four reasons. 
and then they will teach those verses first. Then come back to that unique um, argument in the seventh verse, like that. Even now I'll have to rearrange the verses a little bit as I go ahead. Now, the argument here is externality. Things exist outside my mind, therefore they are real. This is the argument of any realist. See, in the right now, idealism. You know, you know the philosophy of idealism? Bishop Berkeley, subjective idealism. Uh, he, he was, Bishop Berkeley was Irish or Scottish? Berkeley, uh, the philosopher, I forget. But he said things exist in your mind. How can you prove that they exist outside? Because you, have, you can never experience anything without your mind. The same thing which Godfather says. So here Godfather says without consciousness. He says without your mind. So all things, your dreams are in your mind and your waking is also in your mind. That they actually exist outside. You say I see them and we all see them. So they must exist outside us. But then I'll say you are all in my mind. How do I know you exist outside? <laughs> So, Bishop Berkeley had this position, subjective idealism. And Bill is fond of quoting this. Samuel Johnson's biographer, Boswell, he quotes this uh, thing. He says to Samuel Johnson that, uh, um, I know this philosophy must be false, what uh, Berkeley says, but it's very difficult to refute it. And Samuel Johnson, there was a large rock, he kicked it robustly. This is what Boswell writes. Samuel Johnson kicked it robustly and he said, I refute it thus. Here is a big rock, I'm kicking it and it hurts my foot, so it's real, it's not in my mind. But then that doesn't refute it, he could, the whole thing could be dreamt, it could be in the mind also. I saw a different kind of re reply to Sam Johnson, uh, I mentioned it here also, I was reading in a book, Why Does the World Exist? by Jim Holt. And he says, Samuel Johnson's answer was, this is a solid world. How can it be in my mind? Yeah, rock, a full rock, how can it be a thought? It's a solid thing. But modern physics, he says, is showing us it's not at all solid. Um, one person in San Diego told me, a scientist, he told me that actually even these things, we have a sort of school schoolboy idea of physics, that atoms are like little pebbles constituting reality, but that's not true. In atoms, it's mostly space. He gave the example that in the big, Stadium. In the center, if you put a basketball, that's the nucleus. And uh, on the uh, highest uh, seat, in the furthest seat, if you put one tennis ball, that's an electron. And that's the distance between them at a subatomic scale. So mostly it is space, and even the tiny uh, subatomic particles, according to modern physics, they are more like fields rather than uh, granule, granular little pebbles. And it's not like that. Or like little billiard balls, not like that. So, Jim Holt quotes from, from a modern poet who is replying to Sa Samuel Johnson's refutation. Now, I refute it thus, he kicks the rock and the poet writes today, from the point of view of physics, not from Godopada's point of view, from the point of view of modern physics. The, refute, the poem runs like this. Kick the rock, Sam Johnson, break your bones, but cloudy, cloudy are the stuff of stones. Stuff of stones, the, what is made of, don't, it seems so solid and hard, but actually physics science tells us it is mostly space and uh, electrons buzzing around and uh, electrical fields and tiny little nucleus. So he says, cloudy, cloudy are the stuff of stones. Stuff of stones is not as solid as we think them to be. So there's a b beautiful <laughs> reply to Samuel Johnson. 
But no, this is the very argument which this person is giving. This is the very argument used by modern philosophers to refute I idealism. What's the argument? It exists in the external world, not only in your mind. It's, um, therefore, it is real. There was a great philosopher, G.E. Moore, in Cambridge University. He was a senior of Bertrand Russell. And there's a paper on refutation of idealism where he says, I will prove that idealism is wrong. The world is out there and we are experiencing it in our minds. Our minds are representing an external world out there. How will I prove it? If you read, I read the paper. The paper is just two pages. It's a very influential paper. Proof of the reality of an external world. Very influential paper. At the beginning of 20th century, he wrote it. But if you actually read the paper, you'll be stunned. You know what is the proof he offers? He says, if I raise my hand and show you and say, this is one hand. And then I raise my other hand and show you, this is another hand. Here are two hands. This is the proof that there are hands outside your, your imagination. Let's see what happened here. He says, in normal day-to-day -day discourse, suppose someone shows you this is a book. Do you question it? He's telling you it's a book. You can see that it's a book. Do you question whether the book is outside there or in my mind? You know there's a book there. You never question it in day-to-day -day life. Now in the philosophy class, why are you questioning it? That there is really my hand here. It's not only in your mind. So the two hands example which he gives. If you read Moore's refutation of idealism. Are you convinced by this argument? No. Why not? Because that, that defense doesn't work. In common day-to-day -day life, it's, that's precisely because it is not philosophy, you don't uh, question that. The point of philosophy is to ask these questions. I don't think any idealist would be, they would be out outraged by this kind of an argument. But it's, uh, it apparently it became very, uh, very powerful. And uh, that paper is the sort of at the basis of the thought world's fashion turning away from idealism to realism in the 20th century. Anyway, so this is the argument advanced to Gaurapada. A waking world exists out there and in your mind. Dream world exists only in your mind. Proof? You yourself say it. When you woke up, it's all in my mind. I dreamt it. So, therefore, waking world is real. Dream world is not real. Bill, you want to say something? Uh, I'm sorry to raise this question at this point, but does Gaurapada or any other philosopher ever ask what is the function of dreams in our physiology? Well, they will, uh, if you take Gaurapada's position, even physiology appears to you in your, in your consciousness. <laughs> Uh, Grown-ups, yes. And furthermore, rats also dream. And what do they say to that kind of thing? I read a paper which shows that ants also dream. We have rapid eye movement and they have rapid antenna movement, RAM sleep. It's a paper, I've seen it, it's a scientific paper. But which goes to prove something amazing. 
that if something like an ant or a rat or even an ant could dream of in some sort, what would a rat dream about? Even an ant, rat might dream about sugar or something else. What would an ant dream about? Sugar or something? Now, dreams uh, seem to be a pretty high order function of a developed nervous system and brain. Normally, you wouldn't expect a, an ant to dream. Ants are supposed to have a very rudimentary kind of a nervous system. Your dreams seem pretty sophisticated. Anyway, Gaurapada is not interested in this. Gaurapada is not interested. Gaurapada is interested in consciousness and its objects. Right? Gaurapada is interested in the experience of dreaming. To Gaurapada, this would be beside the point. All right. Now, what is Gaurapada's answer to this charge? Can you answer it? Yes. Right. And that memory of a uh, waking world is no different from a dream. Right. So Gaurapada's answer, you, you can easily guess, because he's going to always compare the dream and the waking. He will say exactly the same thing happens in the dream. In the dream, when you do not know it's a dream, you are in the dream. You are dreaming, you see a person, you meet your friend and say, uh, hello Tim, and you shake hands with Tim. Now Tim is out there for you. And you are imagining, you are having a mental image of Tim, Tim also. So Tim is external to you in the dream. But when you wake up, what happens? Even though Tim was external and you had a mental image of Tim in the dream, when you wake up, you realize that external Tim and the mental image of Tim which you had in the dream, the whole thing is a dream, it's false. You really did not meet Tim and shake hands. Proof? Go and ask Tim. Did I meet you last night and shake hands with you? No, I haven't seen you in 20 years. <laughs> so, the answer is very simple. If you, if you uh, see the, what happens in the dream world, you will see exactly that. In the dream world, when you do not know it's a dream, in the dream world, you can make that kind of a distinction. Here is an apple outside and I'm imagining an apple. Because it's outside, it's a real apple. And I'm imagining a banana, there's no banana outside. So that banana is false. Because it's only internal and not external. But when you wake up, Apples and bananas, internal and external, all are dreams. All are internal, they are dreams. So that argument falls down. You, you are, by now you must have gotten onto the trick that Gaurapada is pulling. He just simply pushes you and to compare the dream and waking. Go to the dream and see the same thing is happening in the dream, dream experience. From the perspective of the dreamer, uh, from the perspective of the person in the dream. Then we come to the next argument. 10. Oh, this is the answer um, to the, uh, the uh, uh, Gaudapada's answer. 10 is the Gaudapada's answer to this, this question of external and internal. Jagrad Vrittava Pitvantaha Jagrad Vrittava Pitvantaha Chetasakalpitam tvasat, Chetasakalpitam tvasat, Bahisheto grihitam sad, Bahisheto grihitam sad, Uktam vaitatyam eta yo, Uktam vaitatyam eta yo. So even in the waking state, whatever is imagined by the inner consciousness is false and whatever is perceived by outer consciousness is true. It is reasonable that both of these should be unreal. Exactly the same thing happens in the waking and the dream state. In both you have the experience of 
external thing and internal thing. Just an experiencing something as external does not make it real. So that's the, um, the point here. Now we'll have to skip over 11 and 12 and 13 and come to 14 and 15. And then we'll come back to 11, 12, 13. Why? Because 14 and 15 have the two other arguments for distinguishing waking and dreaming. Remember, there are four arguments which are brought for, forth against Gaurapada. Gaurapada is trying to erase the line between waking and dreaming. Uh, the common sense argument, the realist's argument against them, four arguments. Argument from utility, argument from externality, and now constancy, the one which uh, this gentleman asked. What is the argument from constancy? Waking things disappear. I was eating pizza and then I had to wake up suddenly, the alarm woke up. I, luckily I put it in the fridge, the dream fridge. So tomorrow when I go to, back to the dream world, I'll take it out from the fridge and eat, warm it up in the dream microwave oven and then eat the dream pizza. No, it's never going to happen. Because you, those things do not exist when you are not dreaming them. But the pizza which, you, uh, pizza which you had put in your fridge, in the waking world, it's likely to be there when you wake up. If not, somebody else has eaten it. Bad luck. But it's likely to be there. When you wake up, you wake up into the same bedroom, the same people, the same car and apartment and job and problems. All of them are same, the same body. So things in the waking world persist over time. They are connected, they, they are stable over time, they are consistent over time. Hence they are real. But things in the dream world are not consistent. Not only from one night to one, one night, one dream, but one dream to another dream in the same night. We have many dreams actually, most of which we do not remember. Some people do not remember any dreams, so they come and say, no, we don't have any dreams. You have dreams, you forget all of it. Uh, and most of us who do remember dreams, we remember only some of the dreams. We forget most of our dreams. So from dream to dream, it's not consistent. Hence, dreams are dreams and false. But oh, Gaudapada, things in the waking state, people in the waking state, life in the waking state is stable, thank God. And hence, it is real. So we, the two cannot be the same. What would Gaudapada say? But I think you know the trick by now. Um, all right, let's read the verse 14. Chitta kalahi antaha. Sorry. Chitta kalahi ye antastu. Chitta kalahi ye antastu. Dwaya kalashya ye bahi. Dwaya kalashya ye bahi. Kalpita evate sarve. Kalpita evate sarve. Vishesho nanya hetukaha. The answer, the, the doubt is this. Um, there are some things which exist only in the dream as long as you imagine them. The things in the dream. But in the waking world, they are connected from one point to another. From last night before you went to sleep and when you wake up, same people, same object, same body, same apartment. So they exist over time. What do you say to that? Gaurapada will give his reason, but this exact same question was asked to the Holy Mother by, I think, Swami Arupananda, one of Masharada's disciples. I remember reading that. Exactly the same question. She was sitting in Jairambat in the village and she sort of remarked, sort of pensively, this world, my child, is a dream, or is like a dream. The Shapno. And he protested, the Swami protested. And he said, but no, the things in the world are real because they, they continue from, they continue, they're stable, 
That's why they are real. And the dream world is not real because things are gone the moment you wake up and they don't come back next time you dream. And her answer was, Gaurapada will give a philosophical answer. Her answer was no philosophy. She, she burst out laughing and she said, I'll tell you in Bengali and then translate into English. Let that be so, my child. It is nothing more than a dream. <laughs> Let that be so. Let it persist. Even then it's nothing more than a dream. Um, let us see Gaurapada's. Gaurapada supports Masharada, but with some argumentation. And you know what argumentation he'll give. He says it's exactly the same thing which happens in a dream. Suppose in a dream you have the experience of waking up from a dream. So, dream one, you wake up from that into dream two. You don't know it's a dream two. You felt that I was dreaming, now I have woken up. Yeah. And all those things were in the dream, they are gone now. But this is my real world. It was there before I went to sleep and it's there now. And this goes on merrily until you wake up from that into the waking world. From dream two into the waking. And you realize, oh, that was a dream. The whole thing and the dream within a dream. They call it picture in picture. So dream within a dream. The same example you can use. When you, you might, sometimes people have experience of sleeping in the dreams. And then waking up from sleep in the dreams. So the, the dream into you which you wake up will seem stable compared to what you dreamt there. And when you wake up from that dream into this world, you will see that this world seems pretty stable. And that dream world, it's, it's a dream because it was just imagined. It existed only while I was dreaming. But this really exists. This will also seem like a dream, Gaurapada says, when you realize this is actually dream three. Dream one, dream two, dream three. But here you don't wake up into another waking world. That is ad infinitum, it can go on. No, it's not like that. That doesn't happen. Here the comparison is with consciousness itself. It's not that these will disappear and you will set up, you will sit up in some Brahman bed in a Brahman apartment in a Brahman world and going to walk your Brahman dog in a Brahman park. No. It's going to be this very appearance. But you will realize all of this is an appearance in consciousness. All of this is an appearance in consciousness just now, right now. It has no independent existence outside the consciousness which you are. It's all in you as consciousness, not in you as the body. Just as in the dream world, the people and the things that you see, they are all in you, but not in you as the person who is in the dream. There the person seems to be limited and every other person seems to be different from him. But when that person wakes up, realizes the whole thing was in the mind. Similarly, when we become enlightened, not wakes up in that sense, when you become enlightened, you suddenly see this whole thing, including this body, including this person, it's all appearing in this background consciousness which you are. That awareness within each individual, that awareness is the fundamental reality of the universe. Why? Because the whole universe appears as, as in is experienced there. It is that one consciousness appearing as the objective universe. So everything in that universe is actually in that consciousness. So that's what will be realized. It's not that um, then the things will be seen to persist from time to time. They, you realize they never were there at all. It was consciousness alone. So that's what Gaurapada says. Let's see the verse. 
So Chittakala hi antastu. Those which are which exist only in dream time, internally within you, they are dreams. But the external things, they exist from time to time. They have constancy, as you said, stability. But he says, Kalpita evate sarve, all of them are imagined in one consciousness. That exactly the same thing you can see in your dreams also. When you wake up from one dream into another one, which you don't know it's a dream. When it's only when you wake up from that into waking, you will realize you had two dreams actually. So you realize they are imaginings. Vishesho nanya hetukaha. There is no speciality in them, in the waking state. In the so-called persistence of the waking state, there is no uniqueness. You could have experienced this in your dream also. One dream versus another dream, you would experience the, the higher order dream as persistent. And the dream in a dream as less persistent than that. All right. Then the last one, clarity. Clarity of perception. The argument here will be, look, objects in the dream are vague, mental, um, not clear, confused, but objects in the waking world are clearly defined. I can see so well, I can hear so well, I can touch, it's, it's solid. Somebody put it this way, objects in the world, the waking world are industrial grade reality. <laughs> and objects in the dream world are virtual reality, running on very low computing power. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, they, they are not real. They, they are imaginings in the mind. This is real. Why? The argument is that's vague and this is clear. Now, and it's true also. That's how we experience it. When you compare the two, the answer given here is slightly a variation of the argument which Gaurapada used. What is the answer? 15. Abhyakta eva ye antastu. Abhyakta eva ye antastu, sputa eva cha ye bahi, sputa eva cha ye bahi, kalpita eva te sarve, kalpita eva te sarve, vishesas twindriyantare, vishesas twindriyantare. He says the argument is this that which is seen inside in a dream, a dream in a mind, that is not clear. Abhyakta in this sense is not fully manifested, is not fully defined, lacks clarity. It's confused, it's vague, it's mixed up. Sputa eva cha ye bahi, that which you experience outside, that means in your waking state, it's clear, it has definition, clarity, solidity. So these are real and that's just a dream and you cannot equate the two. He says both are equally false. Why? Because the difference is created by the instrument with which you are perceiving. Here with the waking eyes you see, the sense organs, you are using sense organs to see and hear and smell and touch. Remember the definition of waking state given in the Upanishad? When the consciousness, bahish pragya, when the consciousness is turned outwards through the body and sense organs into a world, it is said to be waking. When the consciousness is turned inwards and imagines a world within, it is said to be sleeping. When the consciousness is involved in itself, no distinction of knower and known, it is said to be deep sleep. So, in the waking state, we are using this, a set of sense organs to experience a world and it gives a, a, a clarity which is natural to those sense organs. Even here, 
I could see much better earlier. Now when I see without glasses, it seems vague to me. Does it mean it's a dream? No, it's just because sense organs are not working so well anymore. Um, in the dreams, the whole set of sense organs which you use in your dreams, they're all imagined in the mind. So the mind de um, generates an image there and so it has an appropriate vagueness. Whatever the mind can do, depending on the graphics card that you are running in your mind, to that extent it will generate the thing. It's because of the difference. Even in the waking state, Swami Vivekananda himself has given a number of times this example. Right here, if you could have one more sense organ, you would see this, this very world very differently. Uh, so imagine, a rattlesnake has the uh, infrared sense. It, sen it can actually see in one sense heat being radiated of our bodies. Uh, bats can see ultraviolet sound, can hear ultraviolet, uh, uh, ultrasonic sound, that uh, uh, echolocation they do. Uh, dolphins or whales have sonar. It's a sense. Imagine that world. We can't imagine actually. Thomas Nagel, who is a very famous philosopher, he wrote a uh, uh, seminal paper. What is it like to be a bat? So what would be a bat's inner experience? It would be very different from ours. The inner experience, conscious experience would be very different from ours. Because of what? Not because our, uh, ours is false and their experience is real. No, nothing like that. It's nothing to do with reality or falsity. It's just because the set of sense organs is different. Similarly, the set of sense organs you are using, you are using your sense organs of the body in the waking and you are using only the mind in the dream. And hence your experiences are different. This does not mean the objects seen in the waking are real and the objects seen in the dream are false. So this is the argument. Four objections. And notice, Gaurapada countered these objections on their own ground. He did not use his, uh, his nukes, nuclear, <laughs> the two, two things in his arsenal, that um, because it's an object of consciousness and because it is a beginning and end, he doesn't use those. When you say utility, he says dreams, dream objects have utility in dream and waking objects have utility in waking and more so waking objects do not have utility in dream. It's no use complaining that dream objects have no utility in waking and hence they are false. The opposite is also true. So this argument does not stand. You cannot say waking and dreaming are different because utility, because of utility, no. Second argument is externality. Things which have, exist outside the knower, outside our minds are real which are only in our minds are false. But the same experience you have in dreams also. There are things outside you, you in the, as a person in the dream. And there are things inside you as you the person in the dream. How would you know that, you would, if you use that argument, you would say that's real until you wake up and see the whole thing was a dream. So you cannot distinguish between dream and waking on the basis of externality because the same experience of externality and internality is done in dreams also. You get that experience. The third uh, was stability or consistency across time. In the language here, dvayakala, two points of time, they're connected. The waking world remains constant from one day to the next day. But he says the ex exactly the same thing you can say. When you wake up from a dream into another dream, you would feel that you've woken up into a consistent waking life and that one was a dream. The whole thing is negated when you wake up into this world. And Gaurapada says the whole thing will be negated, including this world, when you realize it's all in one consciousness. The fourth argument was clarity of perception. 
the clarity of perception depends upon the instruments you are using for perception, whether they are sense organs or something imagined in the mind, that is why the clarity is different. But that does not make the object perceived through those instruments any more real for our arguments. Now, we have no more time, but let me just tell you what is there with, on the, in the verses we skipped. We will go back to them. They are very beautiful verses. 11, 12 and 13. Um, we will go back to them, but I think we will go back to them when? <laughs> we do not have any class next week. So, we will go back to them in September. But let me tell you what is there. This is exactly what happened in the Janaka story. Do you remember? When Janaka was told by the sage that that is false, dreams are false, this waking is also false, what was Janaka's reaction? Is nothing, nothing uh, true then? Dreams are false, this waking is also false you are saying, then is nothing true? And the reaction here is that, is nothing true then? The tenth verse asks, then what is true? We always took dreams to be, commonsensical approach was dreams are false because they are dreams. But the waking life is true, this is where we live our lives, this is where we make our homes in our waking life. But if this is also false, you have pulled the rug out from under my feet, then what is true? That is the question. Second question you will ask is, if these are false, these are appearances, whose imaginings are they? To whom are they appearing? It's, you're saying the waker is also false, the dreamer is also false, and to whom are they appearing? And the answer will be very beautiful. We will see it uh, in the fall, but I can't resist chanting that verse for you. That's the twelfth verse. The answer is, Kalpayatyatmanatmanam Atmadevaswamayaya Saeva buddhyate bhedan iti vedanta nishchaya Devaha, it says the bright one, the shining one, who is literally Deva means God. The Lord, the God imagines the entire universe in his own self. But the name used for God is very interesting, Deva, it literally means the shining one. Who is the shining one? It's consciousness, it's you. By your own power, Swamayaya, you, you project an entire universe within yourself and you project yourself also into that, into that virtual reality, in this body and body and mind. Saiva buddhyate bhedan, that very consciousness itself becomes identified with a particular body and mind and experiences the bhedan, the different entities which are projected and forgets the background re reality, forgets the, ra it's the radiance, forgets the radiance and thinks I am a body and a mind and experiencing solid objects out there, people out there. Iti Vedanta Nishchayaha, this is the conclusion of Vedanta. So very dramatic verse. I quoted Abdaik of all people yesterday, Do you, uh, those who were there at the Rubin, you remember? It's a beautiful line I came across. Um, uh, uh, John Abdike, he says, we skate on an intense radiance which we do not see, wait for it, because it is all we see, because, because it is all we see. We skate on an intense radiance. Imagine those ice skaters in Bryant's, Bryant Park, mm -hmm. 
uh, on the ice they're skating around we are scaling on an intense radiance you see it's an intense radiance i don't see any of it where is it you don't which we do not see he says which we do not see but why not because very interesting because it is all we see so what do you mean everything that you are seeing is that intense radiance the intense radiance is Brahman. Literally the word here is Devaha. But very interestingly, in one of the verses composed by Shankaracharya's disciple, Padmapada, the word he uses for Brahman is Mahatejaha, intense radiance. But that was 1400 years ago. <laughs> I salute that intense radiance. Appearing as sentient beings, appearing as a world full of pleasure and misery, uh, transmigrating from life to life, this entire drama of existence played across lifetimes. All of it, what is appearing as this? I salute that intense radiance which appears as this. Tejaha Mahaha. Yes. And this is obviously an enlightened person. Yes. So at that stage, the person is not in that enlightened state, is in the relative state. At what stage? When, you know, he experiences this radiance, because you said he spoke about this radiance. Uh -huh. So when he talks about this radiance, is it post facto? I mean, is ah, it's a good question. Both Padmapada and Abdaik also would say, wait a minute, what did I just say? It is all we see. So when you say, when you experience that radiance, Advaita will say to you, you are experiencing it now. This is the thing. We think that something extraordinary will happen and then I will experience it. It is true something extraordinary will happen. When that intuitive breakthrough comes, it is extraordinary and unforgettable. But you know what will be your, what will be your enlightenment at that time? I always was experiencing it. It's not like suddenly the light is switched on and I see a lot of light. No. You always were experiencing it. But you thought it was a body, a mind, it was people, good, bad, friends, um, uh, strangers. Plants and animals and stars and planets, that's what you thought it was. It's all of this is nothing other than radiance. We skate, it says, what a beautiful language. We skate on an intense radiance, which we do not see, because it is all we see. If you saw two things separately, you could distinguish. But you do not, you see that only one thing. I mentioned it to Deepak Chopra yesterday and immediately he said, oh, like a fish, the classic example of a fish in water, which swims and uh, then the teacher fish comes and says, there is something called water. What is it? It's ab above you, it's below you, behind you, in front of you, every, and the little fish goes this way, that way. Where, where, where? Because it is all it sees. It's very difficult to distinguish. Uh, it, it's, it's the fundamental constituent background, the screen of all our experiences. Right now. Now you'll say, all right, granted, but doesn't at, at one point, don't we become aware of it? Don't we become, don't we recognize it? Yes. Remember, it will, you will recognize it as always having been there. That is extraordinary. Now your se second part of your question, very good question. That, that is it post facto, after that when you say, when you write a nice 
verse on it in Sanskrit or write Mandukya Karika. So it was something that I experienced and now I'm writing about it. This is what you're asking? No. Even when you are writing it, right? You see, what you are thinking about is, how could you write it if everything is a radiance, then where is the body and where is the notebook? And, but what did I say? They are not two different things. When you, say, when you say it is all that we experience, what are you experiencing now? Say, I'm experiencing people and places and things and my life and my body and mind and the story of my life. That is the radiance, but you don't see it as the radiance. You see it as disparate things. As, as he uses the word bhedan, fractured reality. It's a very nice word. Bheda means differentiated, dualistic, differentiated reality. That's what we are experiencing it as. The enlightened person will recognize it as that radiance, but will also see the differences. Ramakrishna, except when he's in Samadhi, when he's out of Samadhi, he recognizes Narain and the Kali temple and Latu and all, all of that, the whole story, the, he, he sees people. He sees the body, he knows what is food and it's we put in his mouth, he knows all of that. And yet he knows all of that is Brahman. It's not an ex post, uh, ex, uh, post fact, uh, what, what's the word? Ex post facto thing. No. Uh, it's a knowledge. Once you recognize it, once you recognize that all the jewels are made of gold. Now when you are writing it, oh, all the jewels are made of gold. Had they suddenly stopped being gold for that moment? No. It's, they are there. Advaita is an important thing. The world doesn't disappear from you in that sense. The world is now recognized as being Brahman. That's why the dream example has to be understood carefully. Dream example has to be understood carefully. Why? One possibility of misunderstanding is from dreams we actually wake up into a waking world and the dream world disappears. Now, if you apply that, you'll be mistaken. It's not, that's why I said, it's not that when you become enlightened, you wake up from a waking world into a Brahman world in your Brahman apartment with a, with a Brahman bed and a Brahman dog to walk in a Brahman park. No, no, no. There is no such separate state. That's why I mentioned Turiya is not a separate state. Waking is a separate state. Dream is a separate state. Deep sleep is a separate state. Samadhi also you can say might be a st state. Koma might be a state. These are all states uh, of what? Of one unifying consciousness. That unifying consciousness is there in waking. It's there in dream. It's there in deep sleep also. Yes. Are you seeing this? Yes. So, Advaitic knowledge is not contradictory to the appearance of the world. You can still experience this world and function very happily in this world. What Advaitic knowledge does is, it destroys the ignorance about the reality of this world. Alright, Kishan. Yes. Yes. Enlightenment makes you fearless. Not only makes you fearless, your fearlessness is actually the characteristics of your real nature. When Janaka, the emperor, attained enlightenment, his guru told, didn't tell him that you have become enlightened. He said, Abhayang vai prapto si Janaka. O emperor Janaka, you have attained fearlessness. Right. We are afraid. Fear is the fundamental instrument of, of, of Maya. 
which keeps us trapped in this world. We are afraid. Why are we afraid? Fear comes from limitation. The moment I limit myself, and how do I limit myself? I see a difference between me and you. The one who sees the slightest difference here in this universe, to him fear comes. I am translating directly from the Taittiriya Upanishad. Yasya udaram antaram kurute tasya bhayam bhavati. Who here sees, he says, udaram, the slightest of difference who sees here, is immediately afflicted by fear. What Advaita does is, it makes you fearless. How? It makes you non-dual. There is nothing in this universe different from you. The most awful things are not different from you. The best of things are not different from you. The vast is not different from you. The microscopic is not different from you. From you, the consciousness. So it makes you one with, uh, with the universe. One Swami in the Himalayas, uh, Akhandan Saraswati, he put it very nicely. He said, I'll tell you in Hindi and translate. Advait pratiti ko mitata nahi hai. Advait aapko vyavahar mein nirbad banata hai. Advaita, non-duality, does not erase the experience of the universe. Advaita, non-duality, makes you limitless in this universe. I can't exactly translate get the tone of that. The Hindi was, vyavahar mein nirbad banata hai. Nirbad means, Bada means obstacle. Attachment, hatred, lust, ego, fear, shrinking away from something, the other. That is what stops us, in, 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 that is the limit to our own existence. Whereas Advaita dissolves that limit. All of that is you. Where does it end? I'll tell you this story I've told you earlier and I'll, I'll end here. Because we have just about run out of time. You have enough for this little story. The story I told you earlier, the story of the wave. So a little wave is rushing towards the Atlantic shore here and it's born in the ocean. So a little wave comes up and sees, oh, it's a wonderful world. And it makes other friends, other little waves. And they go to wave school maybe. And, and the little, little wave plays and makes friends. But very soon it sees there are problems. What are problems? Some of the other little waves are friendly to it. Some are mean to it. Some of the waves are so big and this little wave looks at them and thinks, I'm such a loser, I'll never be as big as that. Look at that, wow, a tsunami wave, so big, I'll never be as big as that. And when the little wave looks at a bubble, that guy's a loser, he's tiny. <laughs> so there is inferiority, there is um, a superiority, there is arrogance and frustration and, and so on. Friendships and enmities, difference, they're all different from me. And the worst of problems comes up very soon sees that there's something's happening at the distance. It looks different. What's going on there? It asks its friend, what's that? Oh, that's the Long Island shore. What's happening there? That's where all waves go to die. I'm going to die? Yes. Everybody, every wave dies. You're going to go and hit the shore and then go break into a million drops of water into surf and that's the end. I'm going to die. Yes. So now this fear of death enters. Competition, frustration, jealousy, arrogance, inferiority, and finally the overwhelming, the sheer spectacle of death rushing at you. And the, the wave can see it, it's coming. Until it sees there is a wave Vedanta society, you know, and it <laughs> and, and goes there and it is taught that 
like a sort of wave, uh, Mandukya Karika, it says, look, you are a wave, yeah, I know, but there is an inner reality to you called water, okay? And this water um, is immortal, it doesn't die. Wow, good for water, but how does it help me? Look at yourself. Uh, where is this water? It's deep inside you. It goes deep inside. Okay, I, I get I get the idea. But it's also on your surface. It's, an, it's below you. It's on your sides. In fact, you are through and through only water. It begins to get it. Oh, I am water. And what about all of this? Look at look around. Your neighbors, the big wave and the little bubble and your friends and your so-called the, the little waves who are being mean to you, your enemies, all of them are exactly the same water. Where is the boundary between the water in you and the water in the other waves? No boundary. Immediately when that wave realizes, at in a flash, it becomes the entire ocean. Does it not? It realizes all these arise in me. As Ashtavakra, it can sing with Ashtavakra. Mai ananta maham in me the infinite ocean. Or at least Atlantic Ocean. Vishwavichi Swabhavata, the waves of this universe arise and, uh, and, dim, uh, and subside by their own nature. Udetu Vastamayatu Name Vriddhi Navakshati. Let the waves come up, let them subside. I neither gain thereby nor do I lose anything thereby. I am always the infinite ocean. And now when it realizes, there is no question of superiority over anybody. Who will be superior to what? We are all the same one thing. And who will be inferior? Who is going to die? When I hit the, hit the, the, the uh, Long Island shore, the wave, I will lose the wave form. But I, the water, I will remain in, in droplets, in surf. When I, I am taken up by the sun rays, I go as water vapor to the sky and then descend upon the earth in, as raindrops, I am still water all throughout. So the wave overcomes its problems. The same experience continues, but now it is limitless. In the same way, when we realize we are that background consciousness, in Abdaik's words, or in the words of Padmapada Acharya, Teja Mahaha, the, in, the intense radiance. When we realize that, there is no limitation between me and you. There is no desire anymore to protect this little body. Or a fear about the old age and decay and the sheer death of this little body. It doesn't matter. It, I am not the body anyway. It's an appearance, it's a play in me, the consciousness. As is everything else. So you reach fearlessness. Then you truly begin to live. <laughs> So just like the wave got enlightened, I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, Masharada, Swami Vivekananda, may that knowledge descend upon us. May we note, may we suddenly recognize as we go through our lives that intense radiance surrounding us, drenching us all throughout our lives. That, and we realize our identity with it and find peace and happiness and joy and strength. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu